Our economy is crashing. Inflation is out of control. Why are conservatives bad, Mommy? Because I thought we were supposed to conserve. <laughs> They'd actually breathe in my nostrils to make me move. Russia has joined with China. Okay. <laughs> the USA is a mess. This is not real. It's just a dream. Please, please wake up. And welcome to Speaking Out America. I am your host, JR. Our podcast is updated daily. Our radio is heard. Our radio show is heard across the country via crntalk.com every Monday through Friday from 5 to 8 p.m., plus a couple of extra air times on the weekend. And uh, for those who uh, may not know, we, I'm also a writer. I've been in uh, the news writing business for a long, long time. Uh, and it's a complete package, and I'm glad you're here. And we have a lot going on today. We're going to hear from uh, Governor Ron DeSantis. Uh, also, we'll hear from James, James Rosen from the White House. He'll be giving us the latest skinny on what the hell Biden is doing in, uh, in, in Ireland. Biden says earlier today, it's like coming home. And I'm thinking, not a bad idea. Not a bad idea. Uh, but all of this, plus we'll uh, visit with Kid Rock. And boy, did did Marco Rubio really lay it in to Biden too, man. You talk about somebody taking some jabs. I can't wait to play that little piece for you. Talk about microaggressions. Also, we're going to talk to a gentleman uh, in a few minutes about a very serious issue. Dr. Uh, James Harden will be joining us. Reverend James Harden will be joining us to talk about what uh, pro-life pregnancy centers are facing now with a recent ruling. Are we going to see more violence? We'll talk to James Harden in a little bit. But first, we want to talk about the screaming headline today about the Pentagon. All of this document release has exposed the fact that, well, there are roughly 50 British troops right now in Ukraine. Uh, Latvia has 17 troops in Ukraine. France has 15 troops. The U.S. has 14 elite troops on the ground in Ukraine. None of this was known until the document dropped which has stupefied the Defense Department. They don't know who it is, but they think that it's a person who likes guns, is a young soldier, and is probably white. They're zeroing in on the whoever it was that released these documents. And I've seen some of them on, on television. Uh, they, they look like very complicated spreadsheets that more or less lay out the entire defensive strategy of Ukraine. And what the headline reads from PJ Media, Pentagon leaks imply World War III has already begun. And this is big news. I mean, in the sense that, you know, we don't, we now know there are troops, U.S. troops being sent to Taiwan. Chinese ships have taken offensive positions. There was a report with uh, Nora O'Donnell from NBC. She is on the USS Nimitz, uh, leaving Guam, heading towards uh, the area of Taiwan Straits. She's in on it. I mean, she has basically confirmed what many of us suspected, which is we're building up to World War III. The article in PGA Media writes, so the U.S. might be secretly fighting a war against a major European power, and no one knew about it. Has this happened before? Yes, in the months leading up to World War II. 7,194, uh, let's see, let's see. Uh, we have to remember that this was all supposed to be wrapped up. I think Biden thought that this could be wrapped up. We could starve Russia. 
uh, by throwing all these uh, sanctions on Russia, crippling them, blowing up Nord Stream, trying to do all those things. And yet the war rages on. We find out that Hungary is actually supplying troops and weaponry to Russia. We find out that China obviously is a partner in this. And meanwhile, well, you know, Marco Rubio will spell it out for you. Why don't we listen to what Marco Rubio had to say last night on Hannity? Uh, it, it, he just he just rips Joe Biden a new one. Listen to this. Look, we have a world that realizes we have a president that can barely put together complete sentences, appears incoherent, oftentimes doesn't even know where he is in many cases in some of these places, that allowed spy balloons to be flown over our head, that abandoned billions of dollars of American military equipment left over into the hands of the Taliban, and spends all day talking about electric vehicles and solar panels that he knows we're going to have to buy from China. We have a justice system that indicts uh, political opponents and former presidents and leading presidential candidates, a justice system that infiltrates uh, sources and tries to spy on Catholic churches, but allows criminals to destroy San Francisco and Baltimore and Detroit and Washington, D.C. and Los Angeles and Manhattan, you name it. We have a military that doesn't spend its time talking about new weapon systems or how to care for veterans that are committing suicides at historic rates. They spend their time talking about transgender issues and uh, all kinds of racial disparity stuff, not defending our country. We have a media that's become a joke, a media that's wasted two and a half years of our time on a Russia collusion uh, situation. Then they moved on from that uh, to cover up the Hunter Biden situation. That's now a full-blown investigation. Our universities are a forum for crazy things to happen. You can't even speak on a university campus. People being assaulted by men uh, wearing dresses and these violent protests and shutting down speech. And, and, and our culture, what is what we focused on as a culture? We're focused on the fact that now some man pretending to be a woman gets paid millions of dollars to sell Nike sports bras and Bud Light. So the world looks at that and says, this place is a laughing stock, and they react to it. And I could go on for an hour about all the things that we are, we are being embarrassed on the world stage. Our adversaries are taking advantage of it, and our friends are saying, hey, we may have to go on on our own here because these guys look like they're about to commit societal suicide. Yeah, none of it sounds very good, does it? Yeah, so... <clears throat> I'm glad that he's from our state, Florida, and I'm thinking, man, I, that sounds pretty presidential to me. Sounds like a man who knows what's going on. Meanwhile, James Rosen from Newsmax tells us what our brilliant commander in chump is, uh, how busy his day is. While most Americans were asleep, President Biden met with the Irish president, Michael Higgins, and his wife, Sabine, at their official residence in Dublin, which goes by the name of Aris a Neutron. Mr. Biden's visit to Ireland and earlier to Northern Ireland for the bulk of this week has seen him visiting a firehouse, a pub, and wow. two counties where he mm -hmm. traces his mm -hmm. ancestral roots. Only briefly, earlier today, has the president taken any questions from reporters traveling with him, asked what his most Irish quality is, the president demurred and said he won't presume to say, preferring that others judge. Then in a second bout with reporters, and this just came in moments ago from the press pool, asked for the first time about the leaked Ukraine war planning documents. The president told reporters, and I quote, can't right now. There's a full-blown investigation going on, as you know, with the intelligence community and the Justice Department, and they're getting close, unquote. These military planning documents have contained extensive and sensational disclosures about American diplomacy and intelligence and, of course, military operations. They have disclosed, among other things, extensive surveillance of American allies and penetration of the Russian defense ministry. One document reportedly provides evidence of the Biden administration taking an interest in stoking protests against Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Ooh, Netanyahu not good, not on his good. own soil. Sources tell Newsmax... 
The analysts who are part of the investigation are increasingly leaning away from the idea that this was a Russian hack because they say such an extraordinary vein of American secrets would be expensive to produce and not sacrificed so readily for a few sensational news cycles. Well, I agree with that. Uh, no, this was uh, this is Millie's war and this is Jake Sullivan's war. This is Jake and, and probably maybe even Susan Rice and Samantha Powers. These are the people that are behind the scenes advising Biden and, and because he has no mental capacity to refuse uh, he just says okay I, I agree with you uh, I'll, I'll, let me sign something and this is the state of our current government so it's no no wonder that I, as far as I can tell Marco Rubio did not announce he's running for president did he so these are genuine attacks based on reality uh, and yeah five billion dollars that's how much Bud Light has lost in their Dylan Mulvaney campaign in which they wish to authenticate their connection with people who drink their crappy beer. I used to be a Bud Light drinker, but man, it's just, I remember one time my brother came over to my house and I said, Hey, uh, you want a beer? And, uh, he said, sure. And I handed him a Bud Light and he says, what are you pissed at me? And, and from that point on, I said, you know, he's right. What a watered down, beer oh and then uh here's the woman who who <laughs> behind the campaign describing why she decided it was a good idea to put a well-known transgender man who is the extreme stereotype of what we used to call a fairy yeah that's right that's what they used to call them uh you know what they used to call uh in the gay community men call people like a uh, dylan mulvaney queens uh, because they're playing up to a stereotype of what they think a woman is uh, as portrayed by a man. That's what Dylan Mulvaney is doing. She, she, he, her, him is pushing a stereotype to an extreme uh, that doesn't exist except in his, her, he, she's mind. Well, I'm a businesswoman. I had a really clear job to do when yeah. I took over Bud Light. And it was this brand is in decline. It's been in decline for a really long time. And if we do not attract young drinkers to come and drink this brand, there will be no future for Bud Light. So I had this super clear mandate. It's like we mm -hmm. need to evolve and elevate evolve this and elevate. incredibly iconic brand. And my what I brought to that. Why don't you just make the beer taste better? Hey, there's a good idea. A little best, a little less water and a little bit more yeast and rice and whatever else. You know, that's what I say. It was a belief. Okay, what does what do we, what does evolve and elevate mean? It means inclusivity. It means shifting the tone. It means having a campaign that's truly inclusive and feels lighter and brighter and different and appeals to women and to men. Well, how does it appeal and to women? Representation is sort of the heart Stop. of evolution. How does it appeal to women by using a man who's making fun of women in his dance and his traipsing around with his Nike underbra? Oh, and by the way. Nike's getting killed, too, for using Dylan Mulvaney. This is, what a crazy world we live in. And this is just the first segment. <laughs> Wait till you see what I have coming up next. <laughs> this you're listening to Speaking Out America. Speakingoutamerica.com is our website, our podcast, the same name. And we're going to have a very serious discussion in just a moment with a man who's made it his life work to save unborn children. Talk to Reverend James Harden in just a moment.
Welcome back. This is Speaking Out America on CRN Talk. I'm JR, and joining me, I'm very honored to have the Reverend James R. Harden, the CEO of Compass Care Pregnancy Services and lives outside of Rochester, New York. And with his wife and 10 children, Reverend Harden pioneered the first measurable and repeatable medical model in the pregnancy center movement and helping hundreds of centers nationwide become more effective at reaching more women and saving more babies from abortion. He has written extensively on medical ethics, executive leadership, and pro-life strategy, and recently Compass Care's pro-life medical office in Buffalo, New York, was firebombed. So we're going to talk with uh, Reverend Hardin about this and this very pressing issue that right now is facing uh, our courts about this ruling that came down. The FDA, how do I pronounce it? Mephistoprone? It's a, it's a yeah, you're and it's something that is given to women uh, to help them abort their baby. Um, Correct. And it was it's been around for 20 years. The FDA approved it. But then I guess there were some side effects or the procedure by which they went about approving it, similar to some of the times that they rushed through some of the vaccines. Uh, yeah. Specifically, give me a little background on. What brought us to this point now where the courts are now arguing as to the efficacy of this drug and whether to pull it or keep it available? Because obviously the pro-abortion movement is pressing really hard to keep this drug available. It, it is. So first of all, I just want to thank you, Jared, for having me on. It's an honor to be with you. Um, it's a pleasure. The, yeah. Well, here, here's the backstory. <clears throat> Back in during the uh, Clinton administration, this drug, Mifepristone, um, was attempting to, uh, they're trying to get it passed through the FDA's pr- approval process. And um, instead of going through the typical approval pro- process, they went through what's called subpart H, which subpart H in the FDA's approval process is designed specifically for, you know, um, AIDS medication during a, the, the AIDS epidemic, as well as, you know, a chemotherapy, getting, getting uh, experimental chemotherapy drugs to patients that are, you know, Im- they're imminent, imminently about to die. Um, so they treated pregnancy like a disease uh, relative to this dangerous drug, mifepristone. And I say dangerous because a lot of the people that are up in arms right now about the the, um, the judge's ruling down in Texas, essentially overturning the FDA's approval of this drug, they're up in arms because he basically said, look, you've got to go back and, and do the process that the legal process that you have on the books to approve this drug. It is dangerous. And you didn't follow the safety uh, uh, and efficacy protocols for determining uh, that in order to protect patients, you know, women and girls from from the negative side effects. Some of what, you know, the negative side effects are hemorrhaging, sepsis, pelvic inflammatory disease, which causes internal scarring and future ectopic pregnancies, um, death. Uh, So 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 these the, the judge basically said he didn't say. Uh, I'm, I'm getting involved in, in the FDA's process. He said, no, the FDA, you need to start actually thinking about going back and doing the process. Follow your own process. So, you know, it's the, the, the judge's ruling, Judge Matthew Kazimierz down in Texas, is being mischaracterized by pro-abortion politicians and others as if he were involving himself uh, in, the, in, the, in the FDA's scientific process. And this is, you know, somehow dangerous because now the judges are going to just willy nilly uh, jump in and uh, reverse the FDA's rulings on all sorts of drugs. 
Uh, well, that's simply not the case. That's not what happened here. The case actually, as I said, uh, is, is, is asking the FDA to go back and do what they're supposed to do because they didn't in the first place and women are dying. So, um, you know, the, the, what, an interesting development occurred that is um, today, uh, the, the Fifth Circuit was, uh, was asked to, to, to rule on it, on Judge Matthew Kaczmarek's original ruling. Um, the Department of Justice appealed to the Fifth Circuit. The Fifth Circuit is a three-panel judge uh, group, and two of the, of the three essentially ruled in favor of uh, Judge Kaczmarek's ruling, mm-hmm. in part. What that means is, he said the, the, the three judge panel said while while oral arguments are being heard and it goes to the Supreme Court, probably um, we're going to ask the FDA to go back to the 2016 regulations and 2016 regulations basically said that the drug has to be distributed in person by a physician. It has to be limited to seven weeks gestation, not 10. And um, you can't send it in the mail. Basically, that's it. Because right now, it's illegal to send abortion drugs in the mail. Um, um, it's, it, since, uh, since, well, uh, since 1994, when the most recent um, some, uh, rules were written at the, at the federal level. So, uh, you know, go back to 2016 while this gets hashed out, 2016 regulations. And uh, again, like I said, the, the reason why the, the abortion industry does not want this ruling to stand uh, is because it won't, this drug is so dangerous, it won't make it through the FDA's typical process. It, it's just that dangerous. And, and I say that not, not because I have an opinion about, uh, about it, although I do. Mm-hmm. It's the FDA's opinion. The FDA put this drug on the REMS list, Risk Evaluation and Mitigation Strategy List. And there's only 70 drugs out of the thousands of drugs that are approved by the FDA. Only 70, 70, have made it on this list. And that means that when chemicals, these, these chemicals come in contact with a human being, uh, they have such adverse reactions or, or can cause death that they have to be under direct supervision of a physician. And what the Obama, uh, I'm sorry, what the Biden administration did on January 3rd was essentially attempts to totally, to totally deregulate uh, this drug so that it can be sent to women in the mail without medical supervision and without diagnosis of pregnancy, without diagnosis of ectopic pregnancy, and uh, without even locating the pregnancy in the uterus. So, you know, this goes against, this is basically serial malpractice. It goes totally uh, against uh, the medical process for serving a patient, whether or not uh, reproductive health or, or anything else for that matter. You can't just send somebody a treatment protocol without diagnosing their condition. Uh, and so, furthermore, you can't send them dangerous drugs in the mail. That's why the FDA exists in the first place, but the FDA did not do their job. And so it's just a simple uh, uh, you know, ruling that says, go back, do your job. And um, <clears throat> it's likely though, uh, Jared, that the, um, yeah that the, the Supreme Court's going to weigh in on it. Which is interesting because the Supreme Court, <laughs> the last time they weighed in on something, it uh, created a whole bunch of other problems. What This isn't yeah. the only uh, abortion pill. Uh, isn't RU486? That's not this particular. There are other ways. No, you're right. It, it's not as if. You're right. Right. So why is the media portraying this as one judge trying to overrule the FDA when the truth of the matter is if the FDA did a shoddy job and then they rebranded this thing. It wasn't even originally created, from what I'm hearing from you, as an abortion drug. It was created for other medicinal use, therapeutic uses. So it seems to me so, like so this, there's two. Hmm, Go yeah. Ahead. No, please. Well, I was just going to say you're right about the RU46. Um, RU46 is the abortion drug regimen. 
Okay, so that what that means is there's two drugs involved. Mifepristone is the first drug, and that's what the, the, what the um, Texas judge ruled on. All right, hang on right there. We've got to take a quick break because it is, of course, how it is, and we'll come right back. We're talking with Dr. James Harden. Uh, he is the CEO of Compass Care Pregnancy, and we're talking about this very important and topical issue that has got the entire nation on fire. We'll continue with Speaking Out America in just a moment. Also want to remind folks that you can join us Monday through Friday here on crntalk.com or speakingoutamerica.com. Join us online as well and our podcast, Speaking Out America. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Speaking out, America. I'm so honored to have on the program to talk about this very important issue. The Reverend James R. Harden was also the CEO of Compass Care Pregnancy Services, and they have a website, compasscarecommunity.com. And I invite you to go on that website to get educated properly about this particular issue. And uh, James, again, you were just about to answer the second half of the question, which was, why is why is everybody up in arms about this when there are still other therapies available to women who choose to terminate their pregnancies? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Um, so are you 46 is the abortion kind of pill regimen, and there's two drugs associated with it. Mifepristone is what is the drug that the uh that everybody's up in arms about right now because of the mm. uh Texas court ruling which essentially overturned the FDA's approval of this drug because the FDA did not follow its own protocols for approving this particular drug it's very dangerous it has been found to be dangerous and the the two judge the three judge panel uh at the on the fifth circuit agreed with the Texas judge saying hey look anytime a drug uh can kill somebody it probably should go through the FDA's yeah, uh, you would you think. Know, protocols well, that's the, the debate that drug. Dr. McCulloch is having about the vaccine regimens that we have, that there are. Yes, uh, exactly that. Yeah. Exactly right. So, yeah. Who, who so flagged it? Drug, who who I mean, was the one that flagged the problem, it? Though. Yeah. And, and I don't mean to step over. Take us back again. Who was the one that brought up the statistic that people were actually dying? And how, how did how did we go so long without somebody finally saying, wait a minute, maybe this drug isn't what it's, you know, supposed to be? Well, um the Alliance for Hippocratic Medicine and three other groups of physicians, we're, we're talking about thousands of physicians all across the country, filed uh, a, a petition to the FDA 14 years ago. Okay. Wow. 14 years ago. And the FDA is supposed to respond within 30 to 60 days. The FDA didn't respond until uh, like two, two months ago. Mm. Um, so the women are, they're, they're basically saying, look, uh, women are, 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 are ending up in the emergency room. There's, there's sepsis going on. There's hemorrhaging. Um, you know, their, their medical practice uh, is, is having to engage in higher, um, you know, insurance costs because of the dangers that are being, uh, uh, you know, uh, accepted, blindly accepted by, um, you know, uh, these, these physicians that are dispensing them. The, the abortion industry itself is creating more liability for physicians that have to serve these women and keep them alive after they've been exposed to these dangerous drugs. And I say dangerous drugs, plural, because there's two. 
the first one, Mifepristone, is what, is, is what the, the Texas judge is talking about. That's the one that actually kills the baby, Mifepristone. Mm-hmm. It actually is a progesterone blocker. Mm-hmm. And progesterone is a progestational hormone that keeps the baby alive. The mother's body naturally produces. It blocks the progesterone. Baby dies of starvation, essentially, lack of nutrition. And then the second drug is called misoprostol. This drug actually causes uterine contractions and expels the baby. Well, what the, what the abortion industry, and, and this drug, misoprostol, is designed and only approved by the FDA to, uh, to be used by people who are uh, on you know, pain medication that causes ulcers, mm-hmm. okay, like ibuprofen. And uh, it's not approved for the use for pregnant women. In fact, if you, if you look on a misoprostol's bottle, it's got a pregnant woman uh, with, with a big line through it, like essentially very dangerous, do not use if you're pregnant. Well, misoprostol is used all across the globe as the only means for chemical abortion. And, it, and it, it, it's extremely dangerous, causes birth defects to the child. It's, it's, it's not as, a, you know, so if it, if it actually does work, a woman is much more likely to end up in the emergency room or, or you know, if it's in a third world country, she's, more, she's much more likely to end up dying in her mm-hmm. home yeah. uh, through, through this thing. So misoprostol is the regimen, misoprostol only, which is, again, not approved by the FDA, off-label use. That's the regimen that now uh, the, the, the eight biggest um, online purveyors of, 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 of the abortion pill are going to, to are promising to switch to. In fact, New York State Governor Kathy Hochul promised to buy um, basically a stockpile of misoprostol uh, ahead of this, uh, this, this, this court's yes. ruling. That she, and they're, they're, set, they're assuming that the Supreme Court is going to uphold the Texas judge's ruling that they, the right. FDA needs to go back to the drawing board on Mifepristone. So what happens if the FDA goes back and they're forced to go back and reevaluate? How long did that process take before they could evaluate and, and make a determination on whether it can reenter the market? Years. It'll take years. Uh, and, and furthermore, at the end of that time frame, if it doesn't meet the specifications and the safety, safety and efficacy specifications, it won't be approved. And it likely won't, given how dangerous it is. That's what everybody's afraid of. Yeah. So, um, it, you know, th- here's the thing. This, and we were saying this also, not only is it dangerous to women, not only is, is, it, is it dangerous to obviously the child, but the, the, the violence that's fomenting this decision yeah. um, is, is also dangerous to pro-life people. And yeah. I say that because we, we've been the target of attack twice now in Buffalo, on our Buffalo medical office. And this organization called Rise Up for Abortion Rights is a is basically um, fomenting more violence as they did after the Dobbs case overturned Roe versus Wade last June, and that was on the lead up to our firebombing. And so more of this of this uh, direct action violence is being fomented uh, because of this particular case. But it's really showing uh, that America is in a very very strange, unprecedented place of of unrest. You mu- you mentioned it as on fire. Mm-hmm. And I really think we are. Mm-hmm. We're on fire because we're, we're, we don't know what it means to be human anymore. And there's a debate about uh, how we should govern ourselves and how we should think about ourselves as human beings. That's what this is revealing. It's really not about abortion. It's about what it means to be human under God. And, mm-hmm. and uh, they're, they're, they're targeting Christians by calling us Christian fascists. They're essentially saying that we're, we're harming women, we're terrorizing women, we're misleading women, and we're forcing women to become permanent socioeconomic underclass because we're forcing them to have their babies. That's how they're, that's how they're characterizing us. And yeah, that's very because they watch and, too and, much uh, of the that stupid television show about the, you know, what was it, The Handmaid's Tale? 
you know, they've got it in their oh. mind about this this uh, archetype figure that is is oppressive to women and wants to keep them down and keep them in the. It's like this argument never goes away. And and what you're actually saying is that women and you talk about this is that the consent forms that they sign are they being told how dangerous these drugs are when they're administered to them? No, no, they're not. They're they're being told that the drug is safer than Tylenol. This is a fraud being perpetrated upon women. In fact, the the counter suit that was filed in Washington state that came out minutes after the Texas ruling um, on Friday, Good Friday. Of all time. Essentially, <clears throat> of all time. Yeah. Sued the FDA uh, to essentially w- make sure that the the, the mifepristone is totally and absolutely deregulated, mm-hmm. that the FDA didn't go far enough to deregulate it, and they wanted to withdraw even the requirement for women to actually know what the risks and side effects are. Think about that. Yeah. I mean, it's, informed consent, true autonomy, true choice requires information, requires knowledge, and they don't want women to have this knowledge. It's uh, what a, uh, it's a, almost like an uphill battle. Uh, uh, Reverend Harden, thank you so much. Uh, our time My is pleasure. short. Com- com. I want to ask you a final question. In your life, and I know you've met a lot of women uh, and you talked to a lot of family, women who wanted to have an abortion. Have you ever met someone, a woman, who wanted to have an abortion, changed her mind, and, and had the baby? Anyone ever say, I think I made a mistake? <laughs> That's a great... <laughs> the answer is no. It's It's comical because... It's so life-changing. It's so fulfilling. When when women are thinking about having an abortion, we see them every day. And we see thousands of women all, all year long, all across all of our operations, and they never come back to us saying, I wish I would have had an abortion. They're yeah. always overjoyed and happy and grateful uh, for, for, their, for the child that they have. And, uh, you know, that's, look, that's what it's all about. When a woman faces an unplanned pregnancy, she says, I'm stuck, I'm trapped, I've got no other choice, I need to have an abortion, and our job is to give her a vision of her future after having had a child with ethical medical care, comprehensive community support. This is what it's all about. This is the community coming together. We do it all for free, by the way. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, this, it's not about choice for her. It's not about empowerment for her. It's about, um, you know, the fact that she has no choice. She feels stuck. Right. We've got to find a way to help her uh, be able to say no to abortion, and then she's truly free. And by the way, shame on the media for exacerbating this issue, to your point, yeah. uh, creating the potential for violence. Uh, Reverend Harden, thank you again for joining me. It's oh, a big battle. Pleasure. It's a big yeah. battle, and you're a great man, so thank you. Oh, well, thank you. God bless. We'll be back to talk about mental health next up on Speaking Out America. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Speaking Out America. I'm your host, JR. Monday through Friday, 5 to 6 p.m. Pacific, right here on crntalk.com. And then, of course, our podcast on all the major platforms, Speaking Out America. If you want to email the program with any questions or comments, uh, it's easy to do. It's speakingoutamerica at gmail.com. It's always good to have you here. And we're talking about very serious issues today because we know that this program is dedicated to talking about the stuff that they don't want us to talk about, because if we did, we might come up with ideas of our own, and, and that's dangerous. Today, it is dangerous. Microaggressions everywhere. 
Uh, we'll get to it. Talk about how even the slightest slight can ruin your life. It's a terrible time to live in that kind of uh, dystopian uh, being canceled. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. It's so easy to get canceled. It's so easy to say the wrong thing. Uh, And it's just, but the good news is we're pushing back. The good news is people have woken up to the idea that, yes, this is a country with free speech. We are entitled to free speech. We are entitled to the free uh, dissemination of ideas. And we don't have to put up with this invisible mob that has the mentality of a 14-year-old girl. So Ron DeSantis, he was in uh, Iowa. He was in Des Moines earlier today. Here's a little bit of what he had to say. Administration. Final thing we said is uh, I am not going to be like, and unfortunately we have some Republicans, get into office and they basically act like potted plants. They don't want to lead. They worry about what the media is going to say about them. They just kind of hope to not have to make decisions until something they're actually forced to do it. Uh, I said that's not what we're doing in Florida. We're going on offense in the state of Florida. I'm going to get out in front of issues. I'm going to be leading on issues. I don't care what the left says. I don't care what the media says. We are going to deliver big victories. And I'll tell you, when you're on offense, it's hard for them to keep up with you because they don't know what we're going to do next. So we went in with that frame of mind. We had four years, and yes, we had things that no one was thinking about, like COVID, but we were able to accumulate a list of accomplishments that brought us to November of 2022. And so here I am standing for re-election, having done it, I I think, the way a leader should do it, but definitely having done the political road less traveled with how we approach the job, and we were able to stand before the state of Florida, uh, and we didn't win by 32,000 votes. We won by over 1.5 million votes. We had... uh, I don't. I think that he would win if he ran against Newsom. Don't you? I mean, Newsom is so trans. Uh, I don't want to say transparent, but you can. He's flimsy. You can see through the veneer, the thin veneer of of superficiality. I mean, the hair looks like Eddie Munster as an adult, doesn't he, Gavin Newsom? But his track record in California. If it were not for the fact that California had so much going for it, the great weather, the climate, the fact that it's a beautiful place, it has just, you know, it has so many great resources. I mean, you'd have to be a real idiot to drive that state into the ground. And that's exactly what he did and continues to do because the middle class is shrinking and the poor class or the poverty class, people who make under dollars a year. They're being subsidized by, by the um, upper class, the the people that live in, you know, Montecito, that pay the huge property taxes. That's what it is. It's the property taxes that are paid for by the elite that subsidize all of the benefits and safety net programs that are going on in California to support people who just can't make it. This is why the homeless problem is such a but, you know, I did a little digging, you know, yesterday on the program, we were talking about uh, mental illness. And I had brought up the question that mental illness in the United States is what's driving these shootings, general anxiety, fear. But nobody wants to ask 
that tough question, which is, is it possible that the reason people are becoming violent is because they're on drugs that are making them more violent? And add this to the fact that it's fairly easy to get a gun if you don't have a prior criminal record. You still have to wait. Somebody had asked if the person who did the shooting in Louisville uh, was able to buy a gun. He bought the gun six days before the rampage. So six days prior, he was already he was already in that state of mind where he was planning on uh, using the gun, the AR-15. And so at that period of time, there's only two things that could be happening in, in his mind. One is that he has taken himself off of whatever he was being treated because the family members had said he, he was having mental health issues. So when you're, ha- when you're being treated for mental health issues, what that means is that you're being prescribed medication by the mental health professional who is treating you. And, you know, these people are overwhelmed. They're dealing with, you know, probably 10, a caseload of maybe 30 people. And that's a lot of people that you have to see on a, on a monthly basis because the way it works is that if you want to continue to your prescriptions, you have to go see your mental health doctor or your professional. They're the ones that sign off on the pharmacy being able to give you whatever, you know, whatever medication you have. Let me just adjust my fan here. I'm telling you this because I know from the inside out how this works. And many of you who may know somebody who is suffering from some mental illness. Now, let me give you some numbers. According to the report by the CDC in 2018, approximately one in eight adults, 12.7% of the U.S. population, 18 and older, had used prescription antidepressants in a 30-day period. That translates to approximately 34 million adults in the United States who take antidepressants. Now, that was 2018. Imagine what that number is now. 12.7%, I'm going to say maybe 20%. So that would put that total to uh, 66 million. 34 million adults in the United States in 2018. I would say that's probably doubled, which would put it at about 25%. Various studies and reports have estimated that anywhere between 25 and 60% of mass shooters in the United States have had some form of mental health issue ranging from depression and anxiety to psychotic disorders such as schizophrenia. The most commonly prescribed drugs for depression in the United States are selective serotonin, reuptake inhibitors, which are called commonly SSRIs, such as fluoxetine, which is the uh, medical name for Prozac, uh, sertraline, which is Zoloft, and escitalopram, which is Lexapro. According to the 2020 annual report for Pfizer, the company generated $41.9 billion in revenue in 2020. Pfizer, the top five drugs made by Pfizer. That's right. Pfizer made the vaccines. Lord knows what they made on that. They got a guarantee from the government. Lipitor is the number one drug that's prescribed in America. It's a cholesterol-lowering drug used to prevent heart disease and stroke. This is what it's allowing people to live longer, by the way. Vi- Viagra, which is the second most commonly distributed medication. Lyrica, a medication used to treat neuro- neuropathic pain, seizures, and anxiety disorders. So this is often described to people who can't sleep, or maybe they have brain damage, or because they're former addicts. So Celebrex. 
a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drug used to treat pain and inflammation, and Zoloft, an antidepressant used to treat depression, anxiety, and obsessive-compulsive disorder. So there you have it. The five top drugs made by Pfizer also happen to be among the most prescribed drugs in the country. Now, this is kind of interesting. Uh, and I know we have a little bit of time here. And the reason it's important is because in order for us to grasp what's happening in the United States, we have to grasp what's happening in the mind of Americans who live in the United States and what they're subjected to. And mental health is so under-discussed because we're prescribing too much. Now, we talked about how Gavin Newsom is the governor of California. California has the highest amount of homeless per capita than any state of the 50 states. Many of these people that are homeless are either former drug addicts, transient younger people who are just without home, or people who have fallen off the wagon and they suffer from either addiction problems or emotional distress, oftentimes brought on by addiction. And this is where it gets interesting. According to California Healthcare Almanac, California's total mental health budget for fiscal year 2021 was approximately $16 billion. That's paid for by the taxpayers. That's paid for by the people who live in the hills above Santa Cruz and Silicon Valley, or the people who live above Santa Barbara, or the people who live in nice areas in Los Angeles. $16 billion a year is how much California spends on mental health, prescribing drugs. That money goes to drug companies. And it's interesting because contrast that with Disney in Orlando. They make about $20 billion a year. So imagine all of those people going into Orlando Disney and they'll spend $20 billion a year. And that covers the tag, the price tag for California in its treating. Isn't that amazing? It's just, that's how many people are being prescribed drugs. It's, it's almost hard to fathom. It truly is almost hard to fathom. And that's the situation we have in our country when it comes to mental health. We're not dealing with it. We're not, are we solving the problem or are we just increasing the dosage? That's the situation. And we have to face it head on. And it probably would go a long way in solving these mass shootings. Leave it there. Join me on my website, which is speakingoutamerica.com and the podcast. And also join me weekdays right here on crntalk.com. Until next time, be safe.